0: Hello, it's Stu. We're back. Um, I wanted to make a couple things clear before this episode starts. Um, The first thing is that I'm appending, and you'll see in the episode title, I'm appending a giant content warning to basically this entire episode for sexual violence, assault, and yeah, because that is the principal event that occurs in these two episodes of The West Wing. If that is something that is triggering to you, I would advise not listening. Um... The other thing is that you'll notice some extremely low quality audio work because I made the very amateur mistake of trying to record both me and my wife on one microphone in a giant echoey office space. So um, I fixed it up as best I could. You can definitely make us out and hear what we have to say, but apologies for the shitty audio quality. Um, we're happy to be back in the saddle. Glad to have you listening and enjoy the episode. Talk about
1: revolution. That's going a little
0: Hello, and welcome once again to more like The Worst Wing, the show where here in 2021, we take a look back at Aaron Sorkin's seminal television classic, The West Wing, from a bit more modern, pretty more socialist perspective. I am Stu.
1: And I am Dave, and we're happy to be back uh, after our little hiatus. I had a small health issue. I'm fine now. Uh, unfortunately, it prevented me from sitting for any length of time, and thus we were unable to record. But I'm happy to be back, and we also have a special guest star with us, Stu. Uh,
0: Emma Davidson-Tribs is joining us here from the studio. Hello. Um, Welcome. As our As our resident West Wing authority um emma has been my kind of fallback on any trivia question any yes. analysis gonna, question uh, frankly
1: i thought i knew this show well and had it all in my head and she blows me away with with the stuff she pulls out so Thanks, god, man. God, god god bless <laughs> god bless
0: <laughs> so we figured today we're doing our episode is it's a two-parter the season finale of season four Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure that we had a woman's voice with us on the recording because the kind of the signature part of this episode revolves around um, an experience. Let's say an experience that is really only women have it in our health society. It is for the very, most part. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought it would be important to have her along because she has an eye for certain things that we do not and Mm -hmm. is very good with pointing things out that we might not notice so let's start just by talking about what happens and where we are in the show because it has been a month since we recorded something Mm -hmm. Um, basically at this point they open the show with a a bit in the situation Room that is following up on the Perceived terrorist threat um, contingent to Sharif's assassination, and the fact that we've right. been tracking these sleepers yeah. for a certain amount of time.
1: I love that this is all tied into Sharif still. Like that's that you know that happened at the end of last season, and it's been an arc that continued throughout the entirety of season four. Um, I actually really like that they fully that they fully have embraced serialization at this point.
0: Yeah, and so. They're, they're leading into this, and there's, you know, this scene in the Situation Room, and being that it's the, kind of the finale, and we know, and viewers knew then, that it was leading into, kind of, you know, it's going to be the last episode of the season, mm-hmm. they're technically tying up, like, a lot of independent storylines. We'll Small remark, things, yeah. Yeah, we'll remark on this later, where it's like, there are probably, there are five continuous vignettes in this episode that sort of weave together through the timeline, mm-hmm. um, and it's wrapping up the Sharif assassination storyline. Not, um, I, I wouldn't say like completely. No, because
1: it continues into the next season in the first few episodes. Because uh, as we know, this ends on a b- major cliffhanger where Zoe's uh, still status is still uh, up in the air.
0: Yeah, the. So the main thing that I wrote down about kind of how the episode goes is that every cast member, thank you, Emma, for correcting me, is back.
1: Yeah.
2: Not every they got, cast They <laughs> got everyone
0: back and all the guest stars.
2: Except not really, because you don't see Ainsley Hayes. You don't, like, mm. it's not every character. If you want that one, we can talk about Leo's funeral. Sorry, spoiler alert.
1: <laughs> in season
2: seven, when we actually do get
1: Everyone oh, back. they actually get them all back for that one. Well, I think because John Spencer really died, that's probably, you know, that got more people to come back than uh than just, we're doing a fictional uh Zoe kidnapping.
2: Yes, this is a heavy guest star appearance. However, mm-hmm. I take a lot of umbrage with the idea that they are guest stars. Nancy, Amy, these are fully well-rounded characters who have <laughs> yes. their own arcs and continue to come back. They are... Supporting they are, characters. They are supporting yeah. characters. While Stu did... Quite a little dance, an I told you so dance, when he showed me that it is in fact labeled special guest star.
1: Special, (laughs) yes, special guest star. Special guest.
2: It is an episode with. Many of the secondary characters making yes. appearances, um, yep. and a very special appearance by Tay Diggs, which Tay I never
1: have. Tay fucking <laughs> Diggs,
2: dude. We, can we can have Tay Diggs in every episode.
1: Unfortunately, he doesn't do his big grin uh, at any point, uh, which I always love. He's got like a ten thousand watt smile. He does it once in Equilibrium, and it's delightful.
2: <laughs> this is also the only two episodes that he's in
1: yes. in series.
2: Um, yes. But we do get a very minor cameo of Mike Casper
1: yes yes agent colson uh uh, he does his favorite thing of describing a drug by breaking it down into its grossest components (laughs) by saying like oh it's tractor fluid mixed with drain cleaner oh it's
0: horse piss mixed with yeah yeah yeah, It's that's like his favorite maneuver on
1: this show he (laughs) does it all the time he did it with meth the last time we saw him
2: (laughs) i think he does it with the pipe bomb as well
1: hmm Yeah, he just loves breaking things down into components. He's he's a chemistry guy.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, the the reason that Tay Diggs comes back is that, sort of, the the big thrust of the episode is that Zoe is graduating from law school. From and college. she's going she to from Frost. God. She's
2: graduating from college. Graduating from Georgetown. From
1: Georgetown. Right. Because uh, this episode's called Commencement because the president gives the commencement speech at Georgetown, where Zoe is graduating.
0: Hello. And, and Tay oh. Diggs is the, the head of the security detail that's being attached to her because she's taking a grand tour in Europe with her Frenchie yeah, Frenchy boyfriend Jean Paul.
1: Yes. Uh, so, uh, th- throughout the last few episodes of Worst Wing, we have you know, uh, ironically and humorously, stand Jean Paul. Uh, we must now, ironically and humorously, revoke that standing at this time uh, because he he drugged Zoe, and that's yeah. a no no.
0: <laughs> Jean Paul, no longer great.
1: No, sorry. He was great when he showed up stoned at the White House, though. That That's still a chief <laughs> king shit move.
0: M- making fun of America, always good.
1: Yeah, making fun of our labor and our lack of social security <laughs> and stuff. Top-tier shit. But, uh, drugging Zoe, not cool. Just yeah, not cool.
0: Absolutely unacceptable. So, this is, you know, they, they introduce the detail, they have, like, a comedy bit where uh, the president walks <laughs> into the room and gets introduced to the agents that are assigned to Zoe, mm-hmm. and... He, like, Tay Diggs has someone, like, attack him.
1: Yeah, he's, Bartlett is like, I'm not concerned, I'm concerned that they don't have, like, stopping power. And so Ron Butterman tells her to attack Tay Diggs and she's just like, judo throws him to the ground <laughs> in a in a nice comedy bit.
2: It is also a way to highlight that Molly is a well-trained agent, so yes. when she is later found dead in alley. It means that she was not some weak-willed. Part. Like we have, we know shit seen, is serious. Yeah, she. We've seen her in action, take down Tay Diggs, and right. therefore it means yeah. more when they find her with a bullet.
1: Run! Right, she shot in the head. Exactly. Um. But yeah. So he gets introduced to the French detail, and he's he approves after the Tay Diggs takedown. Uh. And then, uh, Charlie and Josh have this thing about. Uh, he, f- he finds a note he wrote to himself about a buried bottle of champagne that back when him and Zoe were dating, they buried a cheap like 14 bottle of champagne under uh, part of the Japanese garden at like the National Arboretum. Um, and then when she was going to graduate college, they were going to dig it up and drink it. And so there's a whole little subplot about like Josh being like, yo, you should go do it. He's like, but Zoe doesn't want me to pursue her anymore. He's like, we'll just do it as a friend. Um, and then eventually they both meet up there, Zoe and Charlie, uh, and Zoe's already dug up the champagne and drunk a a bit of it. And she kind of flirts with Charlie a little bit, um, before going to the club with Jean Paul.
0: Yeah. So there's also um, Amy Gardner stops by um, Donna's desk, I guess, yep. in the West Wing. To, to work for,
1: on an issue for the First Lady, because she's yeah. the First Lady's chief of staff at this point.
0: So those two are in conversation while this is going on. And then we have uh, kind of the last vignette is with Toby and Andy, mm-hmm. who is extremely heavily who is, visibly pregnant at yeah, this point. Who is at, who is at
1: full nine-month pregnancy
0: stage at this point. And Toby sets out to convince her to marry him by... Cajole. <laughs> <yeah, laughs> Even like, though
1: at this point she has rejected him many, many times.
0: Yeah. And just, so, rec-
1: just recently, not like years ago, like in the past few weeks.
0: Yeah. So he pulls a huge stunt, buys a house that he had observed... Her dream remarking house. upon basically as yeah. a house she would love to have, and takes her over there and is like, "I own this house. If you marry me, you could own this house it, too. It, it, it's our house if you <laughs> yeah. marry me." Yeah, yeah. This isn't
1: this isn't manipulative at all.
2: So you guys are putting the CJ Danny piece into the larger Sharif. Yeah,
1: story. that's that's bigger with the. Uh, yeah, so Danny follows up finally on his arc. He's been you know he's figured out the Sharif thing at this point, essentially. And he's going to write about it. And then uh, CJ has to stop her, stop him and, uh, and say, no, you can't write about it. It's national security concerns. And then they get Leo to come in to explain everything. Like, yeah, okay, we killed Sharif, but we're missing these five Bali sleeper cell guys and we have no idea what they're up to. So you, you cannot write about it right now or it'll invoke retaliation from from these sleeper guys or, or something like that. Something is the it's, concern. It, it's, you know, national security concerns, you know, waving my hands in the air, just to, you know, <laughs> national security concerns. What are you going to do?
0: Yeah. And so, and CJ has that kind of role as being like the go between, obviously as the press secretary in her official capacity mm-hmm. between her and Danny, the person mm-hmm. with whom she's had a personal relationship
1: yeah, I do like how his intro in this episode—he's just sleeping on her couch in her office, and she doesn't quite notice at first, and she gets like startled scared by him. It's it's pretty funny. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he's a good set of comic relief, both then and then when he's sleeping in the. Pressure yes. Of the <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, with his sunglasses on, and it's like my covert skills are honed. I heard every word <laughs> I you heard said. Every word. I heard you coming. <laughs>
2: also, very. 90s sunglasses. Oh yeah,
1: those are super Matrix sunglasses. Those are like I actually <laughs> he saw the Ma- he saw the Matrix and he's like I need those sunglasses. I
0: actually wrote down that Abby when she gets into the limo to go um wherever fucking they're going to like a friend's house, like they're going to have dinner at a friend's house right after were,
1: after the yeah, commencement. She yeah. also has extremely
0: Matrix sunglasses. <laughs> That's right, she
1: does. Yeah. Uh, so there's it was lot- it was the early aughts, folks. It was a weird time. <laughs>
0: So there's a lot of sort of – there's a lot of plot things happening here. But a lot
1: don't matter uh, after the big moment.
0: Yeah, and so I'd like to just kind of say that, like, as – just to run into this, basically, Zoe goes to a party at a club with Jean-Paul, and Mm -hmm. we had heard them briefly talking earlier in the episode, I think, about Mm -hmm. he wanted her to, like, drop a hit of X with her – with him, excuse me. And so they go – to the club and they're having a good like they're sitting around dancing he takes her inside and kind of the implication charlie becomes that he drugged her drink because you see um zoe acting a little disoriented and right losing. we and get she, the
1: camera the camera blurs for a moment in yeah. that classic way that indicates someone is drugged
0: and then she straight out asks him like did you put did you drug my drink and he says oh you know like halfway a half i put a half half a pill in (laughs) and so she's like well what the what the fuck okay and then she goes to the bathroom because she's just like i gotta like wake up i gotta splash water on my face like feel Mm -hmm. better and then we get the sort of the like the climax of the episode is tay Diggs coming in to do a security sweep to make sure everything's okay can't Mm -hmm. find her the one has eyes on her at the moment yeah yeah and then she's gone at the end of the episode she's been kidnapped and molly has been shot and killed
1: yep so yeah that's that's our big to do uh i do like how you mentioned like you know tay tay digs if it was this serious would just first off there's a female agent why didn't she go into the bathroom with her Second of all, the female agent is then like, "Well, I'm I'm near the bathroom. I'm not sure if I should go in." And Tay Diggs is like, "No, no, I'll, wait, I'll go in." <laughs> yeah. But then he then he stops and he's like, "Let me get someone who works here who's female and have her go in." And I'm like, "All this time being wasted, you guys. Just send the female agent in."
0: That or frankly, I think, in, or just go in yourself, Tay. I was gonna like, say in, in the milieu of. Your secret Secret service service and, like, there's a potential emergency
1: situation, I think they'll be okay if a man came into the bathroom for a minute.
2: (laughs) So, they have nicely set up the reason why this will take longer. First, nice, if, if you all want women walking into your bathroom, and I'm all for unisex bathrooms, I think it's great. Um, But a man with a gun walking into a female restroom in a public place is not something that you want. So I appreciate that he is asking for a female to go into the restroom on his behalf.
1: Fair enough. And then once he confirms it's empty, then he 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 goes goes. in with the gun drawn.
2: It's also been an ongoing thing about Zoe and her protection. And the levels to which they are trying to balance Zoe's protection while at school from reporters. With her freedom. Yeah, yeah, this isn't this is not a new thing. And he says when they say when the female agent says, Do you want me to go in? He says, No, no, let her get mad at me. I'll right. take care of it.
1: Right, like I'll take the hit, you know. Because at this time he still thinks it's just like, Oh, we lost track of her for half Maybe a she second. Drunk and drunk
0: and or she's, she's drunk and she's she's in there, she's she's like
1: cry she's crying mm-hmm. in the bathroom or so something like do-
2: that try to give it a little bit more reasoning it makes it seem logical fair
1: enough I, I guess i'm looking at it from a viewer's omniscient perspective where i already know yeah, like yeah, yeah. she's fucking kidnapped but like yeah if you're the man on the ground you want to treat it with a bit more discretion well, so i guess it, he handles it a little it pretty bit on well.
2: zoe as well is if you're sitting in a club and you recognize that you have just been drugged she and should have
1: alerted well, her you protection. You have a panic
2: button in your hand right. that could get you out of the situation.
1: Right. And or if you if you don't want to do the full panic button, she could have at least flagged one down and been like, hey, I'm I, he slipped me something, I'm going to the bathroom.
2: Right. So I would actually yeah. say that that's what I would expect Zoe to do in the idea that I'm going to get up and knowing I'm not really in, in my right mind and go to the mm-hmm. bathroom, if she wants some space from the jackass who just drugged her. There are many yeah. ways that this could have... N- ended with her not being kidnapped
1: right but you know for dramatic purposes she needs to be kidnapped kidnapped. so therefore it's a failure of you know a few things but they're all realistic failures these are all things that could happen in the real world you know as nancy says
2: it's an absurd way to kidnap someone (laughs) right
1: yeah (laughs) like yeah they had to plan on the fact that she'd be going to the bathroom like yeah it's crazy
0: so let's take a brief break here to collect a couple thoughts because i think the the kidnapping of zoe and the juxtaposition of what is a sexual violence crime with all these other things that are happening in the show is something i find a little gross but also very appropriate to sorkin and kind of how Mm. his anti-feminism is woven throughout this show right well in his
1: mind this is like the ultimate threat so yeah we can let's take a break and we can unpack that a little bit
0: John Stoltenberg after all But I ain't quite Charlie Sheen The truth is a little bit of
1: little bit me. But you, you're the main character in A masterwork by Law, yeah It's quite
0: the Broadway production You got going on over there Impressive how long some can keep the illusion alive
1: and think you have the end of Act
0: Three. I can't wait for Act Five. Over oh, your the lights. And welcome back. So, the pivotal event of these two episodes is obviously um, Zoe first being drugged by her boyfriend in a club, and this sets up the turns out to be circumstantial occurrence of her getting kidnapped right um
1: Um, i don't recall the exact resolution of it that we're going to get in the first couple episodes of the next season but i'm pretty it ends up not being like islamic terrorists i think she
2: she is found in what nancy predicts she's basically found in the back of a muffler shop she's found in a in the back of someone's closet just from
1: Um, uh, it was just local americans who kidnapped her right it is
2: it is domestic terrorists as far as we are told, um, she escapes by calling nine one one on her cell phone, and she's hidden in the back of someone's closet. The finding of Zoe is actually a very minor moment, hmm. um, but yes, in this moment, it is tied to potential. It's tied to this is, yeah. <laughs>
1: right because they're worried about the five Bali sleepers. And, but at the you same know,
2: time, her ransom note does come from
1: an Islamic. Source, right? You know, the, yeah. it, is,
2: it is written in um, Arabic. In Arabic, it is apparently they call for the release of Baha'i prisoners, for, certain uh, certain
1: targeted political prisoners that were just recently mentioned by like the Bali, you know, Muslim clerics or whatever.
2: And and they ask for troops to be removed from Kumar. So it it has all of the elements of an international. Criminal. But it
1: turns out they're just making the best of an opportunity, and they didn't even do it. They're just gonna use it to get their demands. Um, yeah. Because I think we we find out later the tank tops were faked or something. Uh, the tank top photo was f- was faked. <laughs> I have a lot
2: of issues oh, around the tank tops. Yeah. So
0: let's talk. Let's talk about tank tops. <laughs> <laughs> so well, hang on. Let me let me make one cool thing. So we mentioned that there are five kind of central like dyads. That are woven through this episode between a woman and a, a male, or in a couple of cases, a female counterpart here, that are actually quite intricately and I would say very well written to kind of weave together in the last eight minutes of the episode into the sort of montage esque shots of Zoe getting drugged, going to the bathroom, Tay Diggs trying to find her, her getting kidnapped, Molly mm-hmm. getting shot. So, all of these things are being structured and interwoven with the central aspect of Zoe's kidnapping in a way that I think is is pretty skillful, just like technically. Like if you had to have all these things happening concurrently, Mm -hmm. they do a reasonably good job of weaving them together in a way that that makes sense to the viewer.
1: Yeah, Um, and I like this nice trick Sorkin does here with the music where he keeps the club music going during this entire sequence you've mentioned, and it keeps the viewer's mind coming back to the club. Like, why am I hearing the club music? Why should I be focused on the club? And it's, of course, because the club is where the most dramatic moment happens.
0: Yeah, so I actually wrote up a huge note about the the music here. So this song that they underpins the entire last bit of the show is a song called Angel by Massive Attack. It's off their 1998 album, Mezzanine, which is like probably one of the most important hundred albums ever recorded it was an extremely like 2000 early aughts vibe it was trip yeah. it was the birth of trip hop it was like a london club scene underground type of thing but so the other place you would hear this song in a very famous thing is there's a scene in the movie snatch where oh. um, mickey's mother is burned alive in her caravan oh that and they whole played sequence, this song Is set to this song and also when they bust up the casino. Hmm. Um so this is again
1: Snatch in a long time. (laughs) One of my favorites. It's a big
0: turn of the century music like music choice, but also relevant to what we're talking about here is it is one of the samples it's built upon is another thing that was ubiquitous at the turn of the century in a lot of electronic music. It's just a sample of a woman screaming. (laughs) And great great (laughs) killer (laughs) yeah so this is fundamentally again i object to this it's a very difficult sequence to watch because it is it's fundamentally a crime of sexual violence that's happening because regardless Mm -hmm. of whether zoe is being kidnapped by a terrorist or somebody who has political aims Mm -hmm. it's set within the framework of her basically being date raped like it is a date rape drug that gets this whole thing moving and yeah that's certainly a dramatic choice to make but i feel like as much as the show focuses on the gravity of it and does a technically good job of weaving these other story elements into it it just strikes me as a little hollow because i don't give a shit about amy and donna dishing about josh while Mm -hmm. i'm like concurrently watching zoe be like assaulted by her boyfriend Mm -hmm.
2: yeah there are a number of moments that are incredibly triggering in this episode um and i and i include like really for me the The part that I have a very, very hard time watching is the sequence of Leo running from the situation room up to go tell the president, where they intersperse very quick black and white moments of what is, I imagine, a close-up of Zoe's face in terror. Right. And that is... I mean let's be clear the entire setup of this is completely unnecessary. If you need there to be a crisis within the presidency where he has to invoke the 25th amendment, there are a myriad of ways uh, that a you million could, do and one ways. could do whatever yeah. you want and yeah, a million and one ways. Feels like an exploitive...
1: Sorkin specifically chose this one because he knew it's the easiest to mine for maximum drama without really caring about the, you know, the presentation of it.
2: And the reality is there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of sexual assaults and and harassment cases that happen around the country every single day, and mm-hmm. it is an incredibly real problem in this country. To use and it for th- entertainment value is appalling.
1: Yeah, to sensationalize it like this just for, what, a television show?
2: Is just really unnecessary. And quite frankly, there are at least two moments in the show when he also speaks about sexual violence or or imagining it in a way that isn't in, in, really insensitive. With the them reporters? Come, the reporters, the big one who says, um, is she? Is there a concern that oh, she might be yeah behind? yeah. And CJ says, I would like you to publicly, so, <laughs> not publicly speculate what that, could be that happening. Guy,
1: <laughs> that guy should be fucking banned from the press room. Yeah, no shit.
0: I want, I want to pause so I can insert a clip of that because it, it was literally it was jaw-dropping. Two more questions
2: but surely he's not reacting as if this is someone else's kid
0: is there a concern that she's being raped yeah.
2: and then the yeah. other Holy one shit. is they're sitting on the stairs when the president says i want to you know, quietly assemble the cabinet and leo says you know, the uh the president says is she, you know if they show me a photo of a knife to her throat and leo says you know you shouldn't be thinking about images like that all i can think of is in those those are not small things and for victims of sexual assault those picturing those moments describing those those are moments that stay with you forever of course and to sensationalize it and to use it as a form of entertainment or to move a story along is incredibly disrespectful to the men and women who are victims of these crimes every day Not that we should expect any more from Sorkin, but um, this is just a completely unnecessary sensationalizing of, and quite frankly, that the idea that the president's daughter having this happen means that we, you know, the lengths that they go to to find the culprits, right? really not a whole lot about Jean-Paul and what he would have done to her. Yeah, she not, I, don't, I don't
1: even think he gets arrested or anything. Like, He's given I don't think immunity. anything happens to him. He's yeah. given
2: immunity so that they yeah. can go find the dealer.
1: Right, so that he'll give up the, the name of the GHB dealer, yeah. It's,
2: it's an crazy. extraordinary just flippant way of thinking about the amount of thought and, and planning that goes into a crime like this, the amount of distress that victims continue to live with after something like this, and I remember what, when this aired, those images of Zoe in black and white is, I mean, I, I'm shaking now just remembering it and it is, I, dramatic effect, well done, Sorkin and production team. (laughs) Right. Um, but really unnecessary.
1: Yeah. It's, sexual violence is, feels like it's this crutch that writers go to way too often and don't n- never, almost never, treat it with the gravity it deserves. You know, I can count on one hand the number of like films or TV shows that have prob- properly handled this topic. Uh, it's not many.
0: And there's so to kind of amplify like the cheapness of it. It's also this is something I think within the within the arc of broadcast television, we're hitting the point where TV is getting twenty four ified. Mm-hmm. at this point, because this aired in May 2003, I think the second... I was I was
1: thinking this, because I was watching this um, with someone, and I, I, I said to them, boy, this episode turns into 24 for the last, like, six minutes.
0: And it's, it's such a tonal shift, because the entire rest of the show spends... It's boring! Well, and it really, really does its damnedest, even, and again this is kind of the only upshot of Sorkin's sexual pathology, is that he can't even write sexy interactions between characters. Like everyone is almost defaulted into a s- less. There is no sexual. Right. Nothing else in the show ever even comes around to this. It's just like no, bam,
1: no. Wow. There's the uh, there's the one thing at the when they're all out at the bar and those like three skeevos try to like creep on her. And she hits the panic button. The Secret Service, like, come fuck them up. Which is an you know, interesting
2: that? draw because that is then the nightmare scenario. That episode is the nightmare right. scenario. That's that the, the, the one where Bartlett predicts. talks
1: about it. Right.
2: They come back. They have that interaction. She hit. They hit the panic button. Which actually, she did, again does not hit the panic button. Josh has to do it.
1: Right. He because uh, she left it at the table. She yeah. left it at the
2: table, and they come back to the White House, and the president has his big father moment where he freaks her out with the scary story which because of bereft of any other ideas they have to just
1: right (laughs) like i can i can picture sorkin and he's like watching through old episodes and he comes across that moment and he's like aha there it is i've got it and like i've got my season four finale and so so i did some research i had a theory going into this that Sorkin was sort of salting the earth and he knew he was done at the end of this, at the end of the season and therefore just kind of wrote this scenario where he didn't have the end planned out or plotted out at all, which he has, he's admitted and was basically just saying to like, whoever has to take over the show, fuck you, you deal with this. And I think my theory is about 75% accurate (laughs) because doing some research on this, so we, we always questioned coming into this episode, is like, when did Sorkin know he was gone? Did, was he quitting out of his own accord? Well, it turns out he had a sit-down meeting with the network, where the network w- wanted to offer a bunch of notes and changes and stuff like that, and he basically came into it with this big dick at- smug attitude of like, no, I'm Aaron Sorkin, I'm the talent, you're here to work with me, we do it my way. And then, uh, so the network people just said, "Okay, well, this has been great." And they get up and they leave. And then Sorkin turns to his producer. He goes, "What just happened?" And his producer goes, "You just quit."
2: Well, and there are there are conflicting and multiple versions of that story. But yes, to I, the, I heard
1: that from the producer. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, then, in, in a YouTube clip. Yeah, the, but, this yeah. is
2: like that. The show was always over budget. It was incredibly expensive. It's, you know, it's kind of running out of its storyline, so it's starting to lose some viewers. Right, they, they want, want to feature to... Rob
1: Lowe more, and, <laughs> and, and Rob... he wrote Ro- Rob Lowe out.
2: <laughs> and that was, that was actually a...
1: Like a Rob Lowe thing. That was
2: a Rob Lowe thing that he did not get as much of a pay raise as everybody else when they right. the Right, as uh,
1: specifically Martin Sheen was started making 150000 per episode, and Rob Lowe was like, well, I want that much. And they're like, haha, no.
2: <laughs> um... But there is, there is a bit of, like, well, I'm going to make the show that I want to make. And if I can't do that, then there's no point. They're like, well, then, you know, if you're not going to add in more romances or do, you know. We'll do, find someone else who we'll will do something. Yes. So, um, yes, he, it, is an, it is unexpected that he leaves. Uh, he has admitted public. Aaron Sorkin has admitted publicly that he did not know where this story was going to go. And Correct. he also says that he has never watched where this Correct. story goes. A, sing-
1: a single episode after he left the show, he are, has not watched any of them. There
2: are many fans who also don't watch the rest of this. And I would argue that this is the difference. <laughs> Stu specifically told me not to talk about this. That. That, that this is the defining moment between between the wingnuts and the Sorkinites. <laughs> And you watch the West Wing for the full West Wing canon as a wingnut, where you continue and you slog it out through seasons five and six. Five, six, six and
1: seven. You
2: stick with it. And then there are the Sorkinites who watch through the Sorkin era and stop at this moment.
1: Uh, Honestly, they might be right, the Sorkinites, um, because the show definitely does take a noticeable dip in quality after Sorkin leaves it. Yeah. which we'll we'll get into that when we start covering those episodes. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves.
0: And to be fair, as I said, the the technical execution of these multiple things happening in this episode fine. is fine. It's great. Is good. He does a yeah. He does an excellent job it's, of doing it. It's a that. good craft of
1: television. Well, you know, leaving topic You know the. The impropriety of the topic aside for the moment, it's executed flawlessly.
2: There is an aspect before we leave the unnecessary sexualizing of this topic. I also wanted to, yeah. There are other things that are done in this episode that I find very troubling and unnecessary. One of them is Amy Gardner's attire. Oh, right. And I love Amy Gardner, as said yeah. pre- in my previous guest appearance. Amy Gardner is my favorite character. And yeah, I, she's a
1: she's a terrific character, and we've uh, we've sung her praises many times. Yes, but yeah, this is one of those days where you can tell it's like a Sunday at the White House because they're all in quote unquote casual wear. And I like but, that
2: casual wear for the president means a collared shirt with a sweater, and casual attire for for Josh and Leo is a coll- you know open collared shirt. No tie. Is no tie. But basically, Amy Gardner yeah. must be extremely sexualized. She is. In. You know, it's a we got. We got to see
1: that. We got to see that belly. It's a,
2: yeah. It's a. It's a Ooh. low cut V neck. It's. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> Donna is in some kind of bathrobe she's wearing like a, Hugh, a Hugh Hefner
1: robe <laughs> or something like. um
2: but smoking jacket CJ and Nancy who I would argue are both still working and that's and I understand that the public nature of CJ's job that Nancy is going to the situation room that they are still in blazers and and more appropriate work attire Pantsuits. but yeah. Amy Gardner's midriff is shown at one point She, yeah, and all for it, like, go, women do what you want. I mean, all people, wear what you want, but the intentional sexualizing of the male, The
1: male gaze of it, you know, um, of the camera. Yeah,
2: yeah. and and the only woman who is not done in this way is the woman who has been completely removed from the workforce entirely, and that's Andy, who is nine months pregnant, and as soon as she has said children... Is removed from the show entirely.
1: <laughs> yeah, we literally, we don't even see her hold her own children. That's insane. And
2: to give them credit, like, we that's, will that's in the... the season premiere, she comes back with the children.
1: And, and and holds the babies, finally. But yeah, like, that's like the, when you're writing a pregnancy story on TV, you end it with both parents holding the babies.
2: But in this case, we will see the father have his fatherly awakening and so
1: man focused it's all about like toby's emotions and toby's emotional capacity and will toby love his children and zero consideration for andy like as soon as she gives birth she's gone and which is
2: crazy juxtaposed to the other father in crisis the president and the mother who we only get That brief moment of Abby. We did get one
1: reaction shot, and then the thing of her trying to do the press room thing.
2: But there's no nothing else dealing with what a mother is going through. We don't see her. We don't see anything about Zoe's sisters. Um, to to is, be fair,
1: we do get more of this In the first episode of the next season But it, post, some of it should have been post, Some of it should have been used post here Post-Sorkin, we can
2: say Yeah,
1: maybe when the writers Started to have to realize, like, oh shit We need to show, like, the rest of the family's reactions And Abby didn't really get a reaction And, like, I'm sure these were all conversations Had over the off-season, you know um,
2: And the other piece that is really Just very frustrating, and This might be a larger topic, but Um, women are the only ones who have any kind of serious conversation in these episodes. Andy has it with Toby at the house. Uh, Donna has a very real moment with Amy. And I could argue that both of them um, ask each other very important questions when they're done talking about what the other one is wearing. Right. (laughs) Right. Once they're (laughs) done with the frivolity
1: of, I love what you're wearing. Yeah.
2: And in both of those situations, both after having really very good conversations and, a, and very strong points, both women both women, immediately apologize for those strong opinions.
1: For, for, I got too real with you.
2: Oops. Which is, as a woman who has been taught to apologize over and over, that is grating to watch Donna and Andy immediately retract and soften the blows that they, which both gave with very good reason.
1: Men never have to do this on this show, by the way. Uh, I can't count the number of times Josh or someone has blown up in, like, a huge, shitty, completely unprofessional way and doesn't even murmur, uh, I'm sorry, afterwards.
0: Or even even more, it's, like, it's worked into a a positive aspect of his doofy personality where he'll just go, like, oh, well... I don't know. And then like walk away. It's literally you watch him almost get himself off the hook and then mm-hmm. we just proceed. Yeah. It's, but, it's but so Andy, easy for them.
2: Andy's pregnant. So obviously she doesn't mean to be mean about it. She, despite the fact that she's making an incredibly important point about Toby's lack of, of you know, emotion and empathy. Instead, it's, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm pregnant.
1: Right. Oh, I'm so pregnant. I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm sorry.
0: Just forget it. And the, like, the last little bit about kind of this wrap-up stuff is Amy and Donna, the entire thing between them, they're talking about a man. Yeah. It's like, it, it's it, like, it, an, it's like a reverse test. Bechdel test. Like, immediately.
1: Yeah. It's, it's only They awful. only talk about Josh.
2: And and clothing. They talk, they <laughs> comment on each Josh, other. clothing. Yeah. It's, it's... <laughs>
1: uh, it's,
0: like, negative
1: background. Sorkin, really, just, like, does not know how to write women. I shouldn't say that. He does, because he can, because CJ is extremely well-written, like, 95% of the time. He screws up maybe 5% of the time with her. So he's capable of it, but only, I guess, in certain contexts. And, you know, when it... As soon as romance enters the air, he's, he's hopeless, I guess. I think
2: he just, he goes to... They go to a very large extent to makes CJ one of the guys. She right. belongs in that room. She's in her blazer. She she is a an asexual character with the one thing about the time in Ohio. With and, her and Danny. And then her and Danny, which I would say is also written as the kind of back and forth that you would see amongst the male characters. Yeah. Right,
1: that. with if Danny was the woman. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So she's basically a Ripley. Yes. She was written male and then gender-swapped.
2: I think in in Aaron's in mind, yes. Yeah. No, I love CJ. I think CJ is a badass, and I like. I think she. I think the performance is amazing from Alice and Janney, and I think the scenes between her and Danny are gold. And I yes. love the you know the way that you know, oh yeah, he's asleep and she bangs down the newspapers. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Like <laughs> they they have a wonderful chemistry. They to do, get.
2: and yeah. so no, this is not a comment on that piece of it. It's just. Right. The idea but that you're, Sorkin but you're doesn't right. know how to write women is, I don't think it's, he views CJ as a female character. Right, he,
1: he wrote her as a man, and then just had Alice and Janney play the role, yes. essentially. He, does, he wrote her the same way he would write a male character. And he
2: does something similar with Nancy, where Nancy mm-hmm. is one of the Oh, boys. Nancy is
1: extremely, oh, extremely, is very extremely very Na- Nancy yeah. Nancy is that turned to 11. Cause CJ at least has moments where she lets her hair down and relaxes. Nancy doesn't have And that.
2: yet Nancy in these episodes is the voice of calm and reason. And reason. And yes. actually the correct Answer. Yeah,
1: and is the only one to call that it's not terrorist related but she and is, that she would turn up in a muffler shop. But
2: she is also the one who when offering said ideas is consistently taken down by her male colleagues. It happens right, in who the-
1: all who all by the way want to do imperialist mil- militaristic solutions right away. Yes
2: Nancy's Nancy's response to this is an insane kidnapping, like why would this, this doesn't make any sense. Mike Casper says, I, well, I don't know what this is yet, Dr. McNally. And you know, Fitz wants to go in with guns a And then again in the Oval Office when she says that boy, you know, that boy's going to be awake in a few hours. Let's figure out what's going on. We don't have time to do that. And it is while she's ultimately right, everyone turns on Nancy. She is the easy person for everyone to put their negative responses on
1: right because she's yeah she's the only one being cold and sober and rational during all of this whereas everyone else is being hot-headed and stupid and when you're hot-headed and stupid it's easy to jump on the cold rational person and go no
2: you're being wrong i did appreciate and i will give credit to the casting agent or the casting director for this When they bring in, they said, you know, go get us a federal judge to swear in John Goodman as the new president, as the acting president. And they bring in a very small, petite woman.
1: Yeah, to offer. She's that. clearly meant to be like sort of a Ruth Bader Ginsburg XP do P. I don't. I don't really think they really
2: put that much thought into it. I just, and I in my head, I actually don't think that was specified at all. I think it was probably a casting agent saying like women can be federal judges too, which we will see in the next season. Mm-hmm. But um, oh yeah, when they do your the, favorite. It is officially my favorite, oh, favorite episode. and your coming. coming. Yeah.
1: The the Supremes. Yeah. <laughs> nice uh, team. That's your. F- that's your favorite, where where they appoint Donna's cats to the uh, to the White <laughs> just House. Just makes it even to the better. The Court. That, it yeah. is, that
2: there are cat-related references.
1: <laughs> well, well, we'll uh Maybe we'll have you back on that one when we get there. Um, if that's if that's your all-time favorite. We were, um, but, uh, yeah. So to wrap up, ahead. like I, I think, that, yeah. There's that, a, there's a lot here to unpack. Really, we could go for hours and hours on this, but we have to stop at some point. So I just
0: think the. It's it's not a culmination of Sorkin's attitudes and hang ups around women. It's just an extremely it's an extremely pointed example yeah. of something that A has it's, aged very poorly. Just, just another example and, to throw on the pile kind of thing. Yeah. And you know, kind of the again, juxtaposing it with technical skill with shitty politics, which I think is a central theme of our show.
1: <laughs> That's kind of like the West Wing in general. Yeah. <laughs> Like, cause it's so it's so watchable because of the technical skill, uh, and then the shitty politics end up infesting the, the viewer's mind if they're not critically aware of them. Well,
2: and I'll say, like the like Andy's speech to Toby is the is amazing. I wish I had the balls that Andy did. I wish that I could be that direct at times. And
1: like that, it's so real. And I, it's so real. I
2: love her for it. I hate that it is. Portrayed in a manner where I'm supposed to feel bad for Toby in that moment, right? I'm not yeah, a hundred percent. And not silent. bad for
1: Andy for having to suffer through that fucking marriage.
2: After and and that moment after she has said no, several we've watched her say no over and over and over again. Ever
1: ever since she became pregnant, like many episodes ago.
0: There is this is something that I actually I don't we briefly touched on but bounced off of earlier is that the characters are just conveniently their attitudes are flipped. As is convenient to the plot. Andy suddenly is the bad... And Andy suddenly becomes the bad one when it's convenient that we want... Or that he wants the viewer to be feel sympathy with Toby. Who is like, you mm-hmm. know, he's your main... Like, he's your central cast member. So, he can't be wrong. And it's just like, all of a sudden, right. this is flipped around. And the same thing happens with Zoe and Charlie. Where... Zoe has Mm -hmm. said in absolutely no uncertain terms for several episodes,
1: stop, literally stop pursuing me.
0: And now it's like, oh, well, I'm graduating and I'm going on this thing and I don't know. And it's just, it's it's sure. completely incongruous with how she's acted before.
1: Yeah, she she clearly knew what the hell she wanted like two days ago, and all of a sudden she's like, "Well, who knows?" Well, and I—it's very—it's very poor writing and character-wise. Give
2: Charlie some credit that he says, "We, this is not okay," and that yeah, he questions, like you're you're
1: drunk. I'm not going to go any further with you. Um, like this is a this is sketch.
2: And it, I give it more about the idea that we have to. Th- Flip this around so that we remember why we love Zoe so that it hurts more when she's taken.
1: Right. Yeah. Like, she has to be nice to Charlie. Oh, that's a good point. I hadn't even considered it from that angle. She has to be a little nice to Charlie so that she, like, we like her again as an audience. I get what you're saying. And it
0: goes right back into the thing where it's just these characters are just deployed as convenient. Because Sorkin Mm. needs to wring the emotion out of the viewer in this Mm -hmm. particular situation. And so, I don't know. Who do we got? Who do we got on deck? Oh, it's Zoe this time.
1: Great. Yeah, particularly in this case, because he's writing with a a final destination in mind. He's already laid out the plot in that, you know, two seasons ago when Bartlett describes the nightmare scenario. So he knows the plot he's writing, and therefore he has to twist the characters to fit the plot rather than have the characters act organically and and cause the plot. Yeah,
0: I think so.
2: I mean, John Paul was a like was a character we were done with we could have just been done with him a while ago. so it's fine <laughs> yeah we or, or
1: we, we could have saved him in in Jean paul standom forever
0: maybe we could have given him a job in the west way
2: oh my
1: god <laughs> <laughs> he could be like ambassador to france <laughs> yeah, or something exactly. yeah that'd be it took great
2: us long enough to get amy gardner a job in the white house let's not add in
1: yeah totally that can happen <laughs> okay so
0: um let's All take right. a brief break and we can come back and wrap up real quick Welcome back. So, basically, leaving aside all the weird sexual politics of the episode, there's a lot that happens in the second half of this that's primarily focused on, like, constitutional procedure. And yeah.
1: Will, the, Will is the one who is immediately <laughs> like,
0: uh, uh, but wait, were the rules followed, <laughs> sir? Yeah.
2: Well, he says there's no vice president. Do right. we expect him to get on the phone? And if this is—you this. You want to talk about serializing the these episodes— this is the end of the arc from Matthew Perry's entrance. When yeah. Yeah. he comes in right. and removes John And blows John up the
1: Hoynes. vice president, exactly.
2: It is for this purpose.
1: We mentioned that in the last episode, that they basically had to do, they had to clear Hoynes off the show to make this sort of scenario happen where the Democratic president gives control to a Republican. Just a um, political reality.
2: Congressman, <laughs>
1: rather than just giving it to his own Democratic vice president, which is what we would expect to happen.
0: So, as we learned from um, four years of watching them threaten to do this to Donald Trump and never actually doing it, yeah. they invoke the 25th Amendment, um, which is the purview of the cabinet to remove a president from office. Correct. can Correct me. <laughs>
2: yes. So, I, for, I think society first became aware of the 25th Amendment um, under the wonderful idea that Glenn Close would become president in Air Force One. <laughs> because they talk about the president being, they try to get Glenn Close to sign off that she will become the president and then they can let Harrison Ford die on the plane. Right. If you haven't seen it, it's still great. <laughs> um, and they try to get her to sign it and she refuses. And at the end, she tears out the piece of paper and, you know, what, <laughs> and, and folds back the folder and sends it away. Um, but this is a real concept that the mm-hmm, cabinet mm-hmm. can remove a pr- can remove the president.
1: Mm-hmm. It's I it's thi- done. Uh, it's done. It's done a couple of times when like for surgery and stuff. Um, I think it happened under like HW. He had to have surgery or Reagan or someone like that. Yeah, yeah. It and is they, it, and they temporarily 25th him.
2: Yep, and and it happens all the time. It is not and un- that for those temporary moments, it is not unusual. Right. Um, this obviously has a very different context post. January 6th, 2021, when there was very real talk of Mike Pence utilizing, of who's in charge and Mike Pence being urged by the Congress and other leaders of the two parties to take over for Trump in his last few days in office if they weren't going to be able to impeach him. Right. My understanding, and I fully caveat this, that I have not gone to law school, I am not a constitutional scholar, although I wish I was, (laughs) um, that the 25th has to be triggered By the vice president. Mm -hmm. And then you need a majority of the cabinet to sign off. Some people would argue that is why all of Trump's cabinet members started resigning after January 6th. So they did not have to be put in the position. Have to do that vote. And you need a majority. So then you actually have a smaller number of people that you need because there are fewer on the the cabinet. Um, And Bartlett says, you know, I don't need... I don't need everyone to sign. I don't need this, but unanimous. I want it to be unanimous. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is interesting that if there is no vice president in this circumstance, how the twenty fifth is triggered. I fully admit that that might not actually be a requirement, but my understanding is that it, ha- it has to be called for by the vice president. Right,
1: but in this particular scenario, there is no vice president. Which is um, convenient. And, yeah, which is, of course, extremely convenient, and which was done by Matthew Perry's character in the, in the last few episodes, getting Hoynes off the board, as we said. But uh, Josh is pre-screening new vice presidents at the beginning of of the commencement episode, and they they hit on the idea of Leo, and then it's just completely fucking dropped <laughs>
2: <laughs> until season six. Well,
1: yeah, again,
2: uh, yeah, down the road this happens. Spoiler right, four. but
1: that's yeah. for that's for Santos, not for Bartlett. <laughs> um, but yes,
0: yeah. So what ends up happening is they invoke the Twenty Fifth Amendment, and then we get arguably our biggest guest
1: star, the the, su- the super special guest star, <laughs> yeah.
0: the, the big man
1: himself, Mister John Goodman. <laughs> Just, who's, who's who's wonderful in this? In the, for the few minutes he's in it,
0: like never, never a dull moment with John Goodman on screen in anything he ever does. So like he's just kind of like rolling up and. I love gorgeous. the way he rolls
1: up. Yeah, I love the way he rolls up, and like everyone's super fucking nervous and tense. And the first thing he says is like, "Relax, everyone, just breathe."
0: <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, they sign it over, and like. They do this thing and they they give him the power and they portray John Goodman like his attitude is extremely brusque yes. once he once the technical thing happens that the president resigns right. which is to which is to set John Goodman up as a bad guy like right to immediately force the Inme- perception of him as a bad guy
1: with two words they set him up as a bad guy he just go, he just goes you're you're you're, you're uh Relieved. Oh, relieved thank you yeah you're relieved mr president in, so in I, just, I
2: would i would push back <laughs> mm-hmm. i think so one they actually do it before he takes office as well when he says he returns to one of the confusion points in the situation room about the pilots that there is a plane that is oh right the amateur like, idiot or whatever and he asks, he said what ha- what 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 did it turn out to be and it's like oh it's two guys playing chicken with the yeah. air force it's like Unidentified aircraft get one warning, sh- one warning, and then they are going to be shot down, and that's the end of it. And I
1: don't care if it's my mother going to visit her mother. Right. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, so he, they do it a couple of times.
1: He's the hardliner. They, he is a
2: hardliner, and we've never really been introduced to him before, Speaker of the House. But um, that's
1: the other thing it, within the fiction of the show. He, this is the first time we've seen this quote unquote Speaker of the House.
2: Right. So he does. I think there is an argument to be made especially in the confusion that happened earlier in the situation room of bartlett not really knowing what's you know what
1: to do what what
2: targets are where am i going but also that they play up this idea in the oval office of well i think we have to make sure that this people know we're in charge i think it's about making these guys know and that this is a calm firm hand of hang on this is what's happening and if that is meant to be in a villainous way that's completely possible, but if nothing else, it is a very stark stark contrast to right. the Bartlett way of consensus and, lis- and listening, listening to, to it everyone, yeah. jovial. Well,
0: and, and I think this is what I mean. It's not necessarily as a bad guy. It's saying that if you are a fan of the show, this is set up as a start. It's a stark yeah, uh, contrast. The, the status quo is yeah. out the window now. You know,
1: yeah. uh, which is which is part of what I said about Sorkin sort of salting the earth as as he left. Which he claims he didn't do, but that's very easy to lie about.
0: <laughs> However, the one thing that's not in stark contrast is the extremely dad story that John Goodman immediately tells about Franz Ferdinand. Oh yeah. It's
1: just, <laughs> like they <laughs> like they all like all these educated people don't know how World War One started. <laughs> and,
0: and he does it in the exact same way that Bartlett always does his thing. It's like in the third century BC, there was a philosopher who wrote down this thing in Athens, and you could just hear an entire theater of people rolling their eyes. Oh my yeah. God! There's it's so good. A,
2: there's this, there are two moments in this season about when Will gets to pop in with his little "like I'm a lawyer" moment. The mm-hmm. first is when he says, "There's no vice president," mm-hmm. and then it's Will who actually says, "Mr. Speaker, you have to resign."
1: Yeah, it's, it's illegal to be part of two different branches of government. At
2: yeah. the same time. So, so thank you, Will. You yeah. He's, he, he is form. there
1: to be the little ru- rules lawyer. <laughs> <right? He laughs> said that every-
2: Despite Leo having a copy of the Constitution in hand. Yeah, a,
1: a little pocket copy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. Whew. Well, I like I said, that copy <laughs> of the we, we could go on this for hours, but... um. Uh, let we'll wrap up that for now. And then we'll, uh, we'll talk more about Goodman, uh, when we get to season five.
0: Yeah. So we are heading into season five at this point. I can't, I sort of, again, given that it's been a month since we recorded, I was, um, it was very strange not talking to you every week or so because I same, like, same we've here, been man. doing this for two years. Now. I know. And, and we're, <laughs> we're fully
1: on now. We're past the halfway point We're we're, we're going straight through to the end, baby. <laughs>
0: yeah. God. So, <laughs> thank you for listening, for putting up with our voices for a very um, a lengthy episode this time around. Thank you, Emma, for joining us. Yes. My
2: pleasure. And I'll hopefully... be back for episode Help. 17. <laughs> Excellent. Season 5 of
0: 17. <laughs> so set your calendars for like six months from now. And the greatest <laughs> of all
2: guest stars. <laughs> yeah. Actually, two. I could argue there are two phenomenal guest stars. I've yeah,
1: who's one. the other one besides... Um... Played the close.
2: two both the two judges yeah.
1: are
0: um, uh, 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 I forget. I can't remember the guy. Um, we'll, we'll
1: get to it then. Yeah.
0: yeah It'll it? be Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, we love spoiling. You spoiled that fucking Leo dies. I know, sorry, guys. Leo dies. <laughs> <I'm joking.
2: laughs> it happens. It happens in real life too, so there's at least um, a good reason that they have to kill off the character. Yeah. <laughs>
1: fair <laughs>
0: Yeah. so um, thanks for joining us as always um, if you have questions comments anything you want to say you can reach out to us on either on our Something Awful thread or on our Bread and Roses thread I guess we post in the podcast thread yeah on Bread and Roses because they're yeah. yeah the general one we um, don't have
1: our own thread there but we if you it.
0: like um, traditional communication you can send the show an email at theworstwing69 at gmail.com nice which is nice <laughs>
1: And uh, we'll, we'll see you next time on another episode of The Worst Wing.
0: Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye bye. All the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on along.